0: Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. The last time we were here, we were feeling everything about Percy Beth, And today, <laughs> frankly, we need to have a serious conversation about Percy <laughs> and his behavior. We need to hold him accountable. We're Ooh. back, joined by our favorite special guests. Stick around for some real conversations that we're going to have today about our feelings. Alright. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been this excited to record an episode since the first episode of Titan's Curse.
1: Yep. I'm feeling
0: really emotional. Um hi Carter. Hi. Where are you at right now?
1: I'm I I, I did like when we were going through the outline, I felt some things and we'll 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 dive in. Great.
2: Um hello, Ola. Hey Erica, hey Carter, Misty guys, <laughs> happy to see you again. Hi Jackson.
3: Hi, Erica. Hi, Carter. So happy to be back. (laughs) Hi, Jackson. Hi, Ola. Hey, baby. (laughs) <laughs> it's been too long. It's been a very busy week for me. I feel like it relates a lot to this podcast because I'm simultaneously trying to save and destroy Western civilization. Oh, yes,
0: you really are. Because, like,
3: yeah. I want to restore it a little bit, but also want to tear it down. It's, it's, like, confusing.
0: Good luck with that, Jackson. Truly,
3: yes. Good luck with that. I'm <laughs> trying to save Western civilization because I'm trying to put Joe Biden in office. Sorry if this podcast isn't
1: political, but it is now.
2: Everything's political. Wait, do you think this podcast oh, hasn't been political? <laughs>
1: Oh, <laughs> even you know they would have at the least been able to make good assumptions. Well, shall we just Let, let's do go? It? Let's go. We we left off, I believe, with with Percy unleashing heretofore unseen levels of Sea God child power, creating mm. a mystical steam explosion. That's our boy to blow him out of Mount St. Helens and off somewhere. And we catch up with him, barely alive, on this beach on a mystical island with someone who immediately introduces herself as calypso (laughs) (laughs) already the feelings are ready they're just so close my feelings are bubbling
0: (laughs) it's happening you know warning right now maybe i should have put this in the intro but warning that this episode is going to get emotional and gossipy and probably not as cerebral um, (laughs) and technical well we've
1: been back and forth We'll, we'll try to we'll try to do some more more principled
0: critical analysis critical distant Holding ourselves We're,
1: accountable. But also emotions are also valid. Let's, we'll, we'll also explore those. We'll, we'll do it all. Cool. Is this the right time for us to have the Calypso conversation? We've said her name. We all, I think we all have feelings.
0: <laughs> I think we should do a little bit more context and then we'll dive in.
1: So, so Percy is on this island, barely alive, looks like trash. The island's nice, but we, we don't know where it is what's going on or any backstory, really. When, when he first wakes up, we get this, this conversation with him and Calypso in which she mentions that he talks in his sleep, which as you may know, is a callback to the first thing that Annabeth says to Percy. And what is he talking his sleep about? Annabeth. But who is he talking in his sleep to? Calypso. Oh my God. I, I'm having trouble keeping my sentences coherent as we're going through this. <laughs> <laughs> they have this first interchange where she's explaining to him that the island is nowhere, that he's basically dead, that she's trying to help him. She's running her fingers through his hair. This is the first conversation yeah. that they've had, and she's running her fingers through his hair. Do you know him like that? Do we know you like that? I don't... Ah. I need to stop talking. Someone else start talking. I
0: I got this. I got this. All right. He thinks that she's more beautiful and brighter than the stars and that she's prettier than Aphrodite somehow because she's not wearing makeup and she looks very natural. Ah. Let me tell you, that messed me up as a child. (laughs) Starting. I'm just going to make a list of the things that Rick said to me that have scarred me to this day in these four chapters that we're going to talk about. Um, Percy, please... Calm down here. I don't understand. In this moment, he kind of like spends this like indefinite amount of time on the island. He starts to get to know Calypso, and at one point, Calypso is holding moonlace, and she, as she's like working in the garden because mm-hmm. she has a mystical garden, of course, mm-hmm. and, and her home cave looks like it's a geode, and she has dried <laughs> fruits because like maybe she's the witch we all want to be. But she's holding this moonlace plant, and 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 Percy's like, "What does that plant do?" And she's like, "Nothing. It's just pretty." Isn't that enough? Which is important because it's the first... Everyone... Please verbalize, everyone. Please verbalize the head shaking. this, This pounding that you're doing.
1: It's just so difficult. It's just so difficult to hear because, you know, like, let's name it. We're all, like, we're upset. Calypso is, on some level, all of the beauty standards, all of the gender standards that we've been told that we should be... But also, like, is that her fault? No, Calypso is out here trying to live her best life. She's trying to cultivate her hobbies, you know, like generate life out of the ground. Good for her. Yes. She's doing everything right. And yet she makes me feel so inadequate.
0: Her hair smells like cinnamon. Her hair smells like Um, cinnamon. I don't think it's mentioned that she has that deep demigod tan, Hmm. but I kind of assumed it. She's, like, tan, but her hair is, like, caramel-colored and, like, has magical powers. Percy's, like, she she never really opened up about herself and that it was so mysterious and it only made me want to get to know her more, which also stressed me out as a child because I talk a lot. And I was like, okay, so if I talk a lot, are men never going to want to get to know me because I'm not mysterious? Yes,
1: The way that she tells... That, that she suggests to people to behave is so much of what is difficult about this because, like, of course, like, they're... If you are, like, a naturally beautiful person who just wants to grow herbs because they're beautiful, like, again, like of course you should do it, but... Good for you. But I'm not a naturally beautiful person who can just grow herbs. It's so unfair that
3: they place all of these, like, idealistic, societal, whatever, misogynistic views on Calypso because, like, she lives alone on an island. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, a man washes up on your island. And it's like, why don't... You know what? I should just sit and listen to him. And it's like, no, you talk about whatever's been happening for the past couple of hundred years because you're entitled to talk about how you feel. Are you Korea, kidding exactly. me? Korea. And it's like, you talk while you sleep, Percy. Cool, you're done talking. You used up all your words for the visit. <laughs> My turn. I listen to you. You listen to me now, okay? Because I haven't seen anyone since like, what? Maybe Odysseus? It's just like, let her be a person. Yeah. I wrote in
0: the notes... I don't, I'm not going to read it verbatim, or maybe I will. But, like, can you literally imagine being, like, immortal and your entire immortality, all that you do is receive broken men,
2: fix the broken men, and then watch the broken oh my- men leave? Exactly. That you, one was real. I read that note, and I had so many thoughts because I think Calypso was my first love in the Percy Jackson series. Like, I have never, like, had a crush on any of the characters but Calypso, like, I want to marry her. She is my sapphic dream woman. (laughs) She is so perfect. And I hate that we don't get more until, like, I don't want to do any spoilers, but until the next series, but Calypso's perfection. She deserves someone to love her, not invisible servants, because Calypso is such a good, like, such a good story. She has so much cool background, so many cool interests. The fact that she just likes Moonlace because it's pretty is, like, such an, like, reference like a parallel to her people like her because she's pretty and no one ever really explains why they Mm -hmm. like her. Like, Percy knows nothing about her, but he thinks about her for the rest of his life. Like, that's bullshit. Like, give her a personality. I wish she was snappy and feisty. I wish she was pissed off that Percy had to leave, not love Lauren, like, after she's had thousands of years to just hone being beautiful and smelling nice. And I said beautiful already, but also smelling really good and growing through (laughs) things. (laughs) And I have such a crush on her still. (laughs)
0: Hola. I have so many questions for you that, that hurt pertaining me. to how have you avoided Luke and how did you manage to latch onto Calypso?
2: Like we all want to be you. Can you share? I think your my secrets? secret is that I'm gay. That's definitely a big one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why it took me so long to realize. Like definitely, like rereading Percy Jackson and just like this entire like few month period. Has been just me being like, damn, someone really should have noticed. Someone really should have helped me. <laughs> I was like four years in a relationship with a man. Like, how pitiful. But Calypso mm. just, like, is a beautiful tropical mm. island. I imagine it looks just like Barbados looks. And she smells good and is, like, cute and, like, gross things. And, ha- and has great beef stew and apple cider. Just getting hot and ready. <laughs> like, if I were Percy, I probably wouldn't have went back. Fuck a war. This is endless, like, a life of just love and luxury. I think he was kind of foolish. Like, obviously, that would have, like, ruined the narrative arc, but
3: I would have stayed on the fucking island. Well, I was going to say, on the flip side of that, never was I once attracted to Calypso. <laughs> but that's... yeah, That is also yes. <laughs> my
1: secret, because I'm gay. <laughs> Carter? This is probably a good turning point into the, the fantasy conversation about Calypso that I think we should try to make explicit. There is of course, a trope that Calypso represents. Like she is the prettiest woman in the world and she loves every man that she meets, but why does she love every man she meets? She loves him because she's in jail forever and she doesn't know better and she cannot do better because even though she's the most beautiful woman in the world, she only meets one man every, what, 200 years or so? The phenomenon of born sexy yesterday, I think they call it. And that's sort of like, in the notes we write down the phrase, giving you both sexy little baby and sex mommy at the same time. I'm sorry, I just said the word sex twice in the same sentence. but but I think we all understand <laughs> what it is the theoretical formulation right that this is that this is representing like that she do we not someone affirm me like
0: <laughs> she's literally taking care of him she is spoon feeding him but at the same she time yes. she is trapped she's yeah. trapped
1: And she's taking care of him, but also, like, she's naive and she, like, looks to Percy for all this information about what the world is really like in their interactions. He's coded as so much more interesting than her because, you know, he doesn't ask her follow-up questions, but she wants to know about the outside world and he's the only way for her to know about the outside world. There are just all these layers on which she builds on common fantasies of of power and caretaking. I
0: want to say that I think that if you want this like narrative, like sort of like Ola was talking about about the beautiful, incredible, magical Calypso and the version of her that doesn't really settle for men like this and does have her own perspective and point of view and does talk about herself, it's like Circe by Madeline Baylor. Yeah, I'm reading that right now. Yes, it's like it's engulfing and magical, and like you'll never want to live in another fantasy world ever again.
1: Ola's showing the book <laughs> for a those book. of you who cannot see this because it's a podcast.
0: <laughs> Ola's girlfriend and I had a whole
2: conversation about it and then Ola's girlfriend made Ola read Oh yeah, it. she says hi by the way. She want a little shout out on the pod. Everybody say hi Liv. Say hi to my
0: girlfriend. Hi Liv.
3: Hi.
2: Hi. <laughs> I think that it's great that because we
0: kind of shafted Cersei so hard in Sea of Monsters and we really didn't give her the the story
1: that she needed that we we revisit calypso we sort of talked about we briefly touched on the fact that this is her punishment that healing broken men for eternity is her own sisyphean boulder that she must roll up the mountain to never succeed <laughs> um <laughs> probably worth formally noting that this is in a formula that you surely have noticed in this book and we've been discussing in this book where we're looking at different notions of immortality as a form of punishment where we're living forever is just a shortcut to to being jaded and getting exhausted and never being able to sort of escape your fundamental traumas and grow as a person because of the lack of pressure, I guess, that mortality puts on people. And that's important for us to think about as Percy is theorizing immortality, but also as we are following these very, like, jaded demigods who are, you know, like, questioning mortality transitioning etc. I
0: think that we can segue slightly in the Calypso plotline. Percy has been there for a while. He can't tell how long because, of course, magic time, magic time island. And then there's a visit from Hephaestus because the only people who can visit are gods. Ola's father comes back. We finally hear about like what actually happened on Mount St. Helen, which is that Percy caused a huge gigantic earthquake. Loki caused devastation to the entire surrounding area, which is not great like we were talking about in the last episode, there's a whole lot of responsibility that is coming with all of these new powers that he has and he doesn't really know how to control them. Yes. Percy, like, immediately asks, like, is Annabeth okay? And and Hephaestus is like, yes, she's smart. She figured it out, obviously. <laughs> Revisiting this conversation with from Hera a long time ago, you've always known how to navigate the labyrinth, Percy, but this time Percy finally understands what he's talking about. Bum-bum. Daybreak is a good time for decisions and it's time for Percy to decide if he is going to stay on the island and ruin the rest of the book series or leave um, and give us the plot for the next hundred books that Rick wrote. So obviously we know what's going to happen, but does it still? is it still stressful? Am I still angry about it? Yes.
1: <laughs> Certainly, of well, course. It's,
3: it's just like a weird amount of wisdom coming from Hephaestus, the god of the forge. Of like, hey, hey, my dad is wise hey and powerful. Now. No, no, I'm just saying. Love to see some like intersectionality of like, oh, cool. Me strong, me build stuff. But it's like, oh, no, daybreak is a good time for decisions. (laughs) Ola's making such a face right now. (laughs) I just know that, like, probably now, like, a giant anvil's gonna fall on my head as, like, punishment.
2: My dad is eloquent. (laughs) He had to be. He's married to Aphrodite, and that lady never speaks in the King's English. If it wasn't aware, I don't like Aphrodite very much. I feel like that should be mentioned. She's up there in the criminal category
1: with Ares and Clarice. So after this conversation... Percy's sort of like, what decision is he talking about? And then we get from Calypso a formal offer that spells out all the conditions of what it would look like for Percy to stay on the island and live an immortal life. Calypso also says, as she offers this, basically, you know, this is part of the curse. This happens every time. I know you will refuse and I know you will leave, but I can help myself. I have to offer it. Which, I mean... Yikes. Girl we've all been there but also <laughs> yikes
0: yes i would also like to doing our continuing to do a close reading of this single page percy is like i'll come back and visit you and Calypso is like, no, you can't. No man ever finds Ogygia twice. And I was like, oh, Percy's just a man. Like we're referring to Percy as a man now, which is I think is interesting. Percy says that you know, okay, like I'm gonna leave. Obviously, I need to go back to my friends. Mm-hmm. I have I have duties and I have responsibilities, and I've accepted that my role is not just to be pretty and plant flowers. I have to save the world, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But he says, for the rest of my life, I would be thinking about her. She would always be my biggest what if. <sighs>
1: I literally, That's I could beat his beat biggest. What if trauma.
3: My dad wasn't a freaking god? That's.
2: <laughs> Wait, but like Calypso <laughs> doesn't just represent like a pretty woman. Like, think about all, like, think about everything mm-hmm. he's been through, like all the trauma in his yes. life up to now. And then think about all the trauma to come. If, like, let's say he's in the middle of just like fighting with Luke again, like, let's just put him so simply, like, he's in that arena, like, trying to fight Luke or whatever. I would definitely be thinking damn, I could be planting moon lace and eating beef stew <laughs> with the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. That's I would fair. think about that, that constantly. Yes. He spends most of his summers camping and like almost dying every half hour. Yeah. I would think about Calypso constantly. That is absolutely fair. And I and I
0: agree. And I think that that is the smart reading that Rick intended for this moment and like the, the impact that it has on us thematically. But I have to say, the impact
1: that it had on me emotionally <laughs> was not that. Say it openly, it's Rick's fault partially. It's yes. the fault of, like, the mythology for painting Calypso as this archetype. And this moment, like, especially when he's saying this, like, she she is an object. Like, she is a tool for his character but advancement.
0: As we find out later that the gods, a certain god in particular, is basically orchestrating this to happen. Yes. To make Percy's life more interesting. Yes. So she's literally a pawn.
1: Racialization is complicated and changes over history. But, like, this, for me, like lots very neatly the more that i think about this i think the trope that aligns with this most is like an m butterfly type situation of like not m butterfly the the play Madame butterfly the old timey um, construct in which like orientalized racially othered women are seen as like stepping stones and like refuges of pleasure for men who, you know, have their fun and then disappear, leave them with the trauma, and, like, learn something from the experience and go back to the real world. I really hated this about Percy. Yeah. I, like, it took me a while for, for me to not, to not be mad, to trust men after this. Although, of course, the answer is don't trust men. Never trust men. Well, Never this, trust is, men.
3: this is where, like, my biggest <laughs> issue is, I'm a, I'm a nitpicker in type of things. Like, it has always been just, like, basic fact that whenever Percy is on the seas... He can tell you exact latitude, longitude, nautical speed, the depth of the ocean, all that stuff. How can he, how can she be like, no man can ever find this island again? It's like, if it's an island in the sea, Rick has set up a, a plot device that Percy can find it again. And so for me, it's like, what is happening here in Greek mythology? You can't say that this island exists in the sea, because that's where it does exist, mythical or non mythical. Percy knows exactly where they are in the sea of monsters. Like, okay, sure. I don't
1: know if isn't intentional that he totally like that if he had thought about it for two minutes and put in the effort he could have found it probably it it definitely complicates the readings there's ambiguity there i think yeah
2: well i want to talk about like how calypso was like my first like literary like example of like a manic pixie dream girl (laughs) i don't know if you guys have thought about this trope but like The fact that, like, we never get to learn anything about her and she literally manifests as someone that heals broken men. Like, I was, like, kind of disappointed, like, as an adult reading this. Why is it that, like, we get all these, like, Rachel Elizabeth Dare is kind of like that, too. Like, why do we get these sick-ass characters that if they were fleshed out just a little bit more and treated the same way that, like annabeth gets i know annabeth is a main character but like Mm -hmm. we could have so many other badass women but i feel like bianca calypso rachel elizabeth dare are like three incredibly pivotal female characters Zoe nightshade too and i feel like we don't get to hear as much from them as we should and instead they like sacrifice themselves for the greater good but we don't really see a lot of male sacrifice going on in a lot of the series and That's just something I was thinking about
3: a lot
2: when I stopped simping for Calypso.
3: On that vein, I think it's interesting that like a lot of the female characters we do meet, their femininity is so much a part of who they are. Like either you're a fun girly girl type thing or it's like, no, I'm a huntress of Artemis.
2: Even Clarice, I feel like if we really fleshed out Clarice, Clarice is like ideal bra girl like we never get to see her femininity even though she's like a bully character so you could definitely see why rick would take away her femininity like i feel like we never get to see like a fleshed out look at like how she handles being like a female daughter of aries and like the conflict that comes from that and like annabeth is like a tomboy character but we still know that she's a girl and she's a pretty girl and we never get that for Clarice. I completely agree. That
0: is why Annabeth, like, we're so obsessed with her, because she's one of the very few characters in, like, mainstream YA media, who is both hardcore, athletic, smart, and feminine, and, like, soft, and allowed to cry, and, like, vulnerable, and she is the intersection of all these things, but at the same time, many of the other female characters in these books are not, and that's a great thing to point out. Partially the fault of the myths, sure, but... Important to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm glad we spent half an hour talking about Calypso. That's exactly what I wanted to do It tonight. was very
1: therapeutic for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel with, better. So, so with that, Percy Percy sails off on his tiny raft in the middle of nowhere and lands at Camp Aflid in the middle of his funeral because, you know, he's been gone for a while and they at this point have assumed that he's dead. Annabeth is basically eulogizing him and preparing to light the funeral pyre when she sees him like walking up away from the Long Island Sound. You know, like the eulogy is like very touching. She's clearly like very emotional as we imagine she would be. I think she first to is like the bravest friend I ever had.
0: Ooh. Please continue.
1: When he shows up, most people are ecstatic. But Anna has like a really mixed reaction where, of course, at first she's like emotionally overwhelmed. She's very happy. But then, understandably, gets really upset and confused about where he's been all this time. We so, sort of get whisked away to uh, a convo with, like, Percy, Kyren, Annabeth, where he basically lies, basically lies, and says, like, oh, I'm, I was on an island, I'm fine now, and by the way, I do have the answer, so let me drop that on you. The answer is Rachel Elizabeth here. Um, <laughs> oof. 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 There's, there's not an oof big enough for this moment it's frankly, for me. it's okay
0: some people as you know as we figured out this week on our Instagram poll it was a close race but uh, slightly more than 50% said that they stand Rachel Elizabeth Dare and that she's not just fine so she's coming back and there's nothing any of us can do about it so so we better just accept
1: it. But yeah, Annabeth is pissed. This is not this is not a high watermark in their relationship. After that, we get this, for me, frustrating conversation with Kyron, where Kyron is basically like, Annabeth is overreacting. I think she knows that where you were, Percy, which... Fuck that! Fuck that! Fuck that, man! Um.
0: Yeah, I think that I, maybe it's just because where I'm at with the male authority figures in my life, but every conversation we've been having with Kyron has really been pissing me off. Like he clearly doesn't know what he's doing, which is would be fine if he wasn't like still acting like he knew what he was doing. Yeah,
1: we got a quick shout out to Harry Tubman being a daughter for me.
2: This is something that like bothered me a lot when I was younger, and like I've kind of gotten it over it as an adult. But like, these gods have to have races. Like it's just a fact. <laughs> And I just don't like the implication that Harriet Tubman was now not a hundred percent black and the daughter of African slaves, but instead has to be part white in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And Herpes doesn't get to claim Harriet Tubman. Like, no, like that's not cool, Rick. And like, so far the only black God we have, and I stand by that is Hephaestus. Like literally the only one from context clues, because he's the only one that has black children that like kind of bugs me that like, Hermes just gets to boop-a-doop-a-doop and say, hey, like, you know, the Underground Railroad, that was me. And it's like, was it though? Was it really you? Are there people of color at Camp Mm Half-Blood? Are the gods, do they get to change races as they want? Are all demigods of color biracial in some capacity? Like, I just really want answers about that. And I hope that I can ask Rick that myself Mm -hmm. one day because it makes Mm -hmm. no sense. Drop him a line on his virtual book tour. When you buy a ticket, there's a little box that says, is there a question
0: you want to ask Rick? I may have asked him something very, very similar to that. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. It's, it's weird that it's Hermes and not like a more major god. Also,
0: is this implying that the Underground Railroad was actually the labyrinth?
1: I think
3: it was,
0: yes. That, uh, yeah. that I think, is canon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's so
3: whack. <laughs> That's so whack. Yeah. Just along the lines of like, you don't get to claim that. It also means that mm-hmm. Hermes, What? had an affair with an enslaved woman and then left
1: her in slavery. Oh my God. Left her in slavery oh and left, say, oh my and my left his child in slavery.
2: Oh. Which, I mean, oh to be yeah. fair, like that that's makes, definitely makes sense. a bad Consistent
1: facts. with Plantation history. It makes
2: sense. They would. He, he would.
1: At this point, the, the last piece of advice Kyron gives is like, go see your mom. Your mom thinks that you're dead. Talk to your mom.
0: Percy's like, wow, I forgot about my mom this whole time. And in my head, I was like, yeah, it's you forgot about your mom because Calypso was playing your mommy. I'll leave it at that.
1: Thank you, thank you. I, I'm really very grateful to see that in the outline. <laughs> also,
0: we find out Chris Rodriguez is kind of dying. It's not very good. He's in like the ICU basically. And Quintus, throwing it back to Quintus here. Qu- Quintus just like up and left camp, and he left his dog. And Percy is like, he's a spy. Fact confirmed. His mm-hmm. relationship with the Triple G Ranch. He's a spy, and 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 Dumbledore. <laughs> I, that was a slip. Claren is like, oh, I knew something was fishy. Too bad we get betrayed. And we're like, bruh, you hired him. Take responsibility. But anyway, we go and talk to Clarice. Clarice is super sad. Obviously, like she has a thing going on with Chris. She is again like our next burnt out disillusioned character yes she has a speech where she says heroes get hurt they they die and monsters just keep coming back she's that Chiron pep talk from sea of monsters
3: but that's also like such a tragic flaw of a child of aries yep. she literally can't well she she has to keep fighting because that's like what she's hardwired to do but mm. it's also like she's put in such a box of like aries is my father and i can't do anything else whereas like Percy gets to, like, cause earthquakes and speak to horses and...
0: And she has to go slash slash fighty boom boom. Right,
3: but then she doesn't get any time for
1: feelings because her father yeah. has fire for eyes. And, like, that's not fun. We I Absolutely. feel like we, we trash on, like, the character of Clarice, like, a fair amount. And I think that most of that is justified. But this is one of my, like, favorite passages. I guess, like, wh- like the, the monologue that she gives to Percy, basically, at this moment, I think is, like, one of the most, for me, quintessential summaries of, like, the key emotional anxieties that go with the theoretical construct of the hero. The way that she pivots this, it's it's this very complicated relationship where she's like forgiving Chris and she's like very like fed up with like this idea of war but then sort of has no choice but to keep practicing and to also turn to Percy and say like you know like if you see Daedalus don't show him any mercy. Don't try to figure out what his deal is, don't appeal to him, like just kill him. Like that is it's just so heartbreaking. I feel like at this moment Clarice felt like a real person to me and like a real person that I wanted to reach out to.
3: Like the fact that Clarice gives him that advice of like kill Daedalus if you, if you see him also goes against everything that is to be a child of Ares. Because to kill someone ends the war and Ares is the god of war. But fighting only continues if there's people on both sides. Mm. There's a reason why Ares is not also the god of death. He is the god of war which requires people to be alive. So it's really interesting mm. to see Clarice, like, it's kind of like an act against her father as well of, like, defiance to the gods, end this. I don't know. I just think that's pretty interesting. Yeah.
2: Wait, no, I, I love like, that because I always thought of Ares as, like, not really, like, a soldier, but more of a bully. Like, his character is an instigator more so than he is. Like, I know he's supposed to be the world's best soldier, but <laughs> I don't really get to that's see Athena. that side of him. No, but Ares, Ares wants everyone to
3: think it's him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I think. Like, he is this huge instigator always stirring up conflict. Clarice is always being a fucking bully and like stirring up conflict. So the fact that it's not like terrorize him, ruin his life, it's literally end his life, I think is really pivotal in her character. Yes. Which, if you
0: guys don't mind, I'm going to segue us into the dream. This time, it's sort of the end of the Minus and Daedalus story. Minus um, figures out like who is harboring Daedalus after Daedalus has escaped from Minus. He's having dinner with this king. It's pretty evident that this king's daughters are being like tutored in like science by Daedalus, which is like, ugh, Daedalus, our feminist king.
1: Yes, we love this aspect of okay. him. <laughs>
0: the daughters are like, Minus, you look stressed. They draw a bath for him, which is, you know, creepy and scary, but typical of the myths. And as he is, like, in the bathtub, they, like, sick this gadget on him that was made by Daedalus. It,
1: like, wraps his entire body with these threads until he's dead. (laughs) Which is
0: scary. And then Daedalus appears and is like, thank you guys for helping me do that. And the daughters are like, yes, our fave teacher, um, will you be safe? Like, what happens? Like, the dead are going to come looking for you. And he's like, I got this. And he disappears into the labyrinth, which is... Scary, but also epic. Um, And then the dream switches to a vision of Luke in the labyrinth, which means impending Mm -hmm. camp war is coming. The dialogue tells us that Luke knows Quintus, so like spy confirmed, I guess, and Quintus is coming to meet them. That's why he left Camp Half-Blood. But also they found a Half-Blood alone roaming the maze. Uh Uh-oh. Percy's (sighs) like, I didn't sleep after that because when we wake up, obviously we find out that Half-Blood is Nico. Nico left a Triple G ranch and he clearly got captured by the Titan army, which is very, very bad. Because, of course, if we remember, Kronos needed one more powerful half-blood to, like, fully resurrect his body. So not only are we stressed for Nico, we're stressed because evil Titan Time Lord is probably going to physically rise now. All-time bad. Everything is bad.
1: Everything is bad.
0: And on that note, we're going to take a quick break before we drive down to New York City.
1: All right. We're back. We're in New York. We're finally visiting mom to say that we're still alive, which important. Yep. <laughs> um, they have, like, sort of a, a cute conversation that's more, um, I would say, sentimental than most of their conversations. She asks if she can out him to Paul, which is... Yeah, I, I think that's all we have to say about that. Yeah, um,
0: Percy and Annabeth talking with Sally. And Sally's like, is something going on with you two? Like, have you guys been fighting? And she's like, okay... Like, you'll work it out, which I think is really (laughs) funny. And like how she just trivializes. Yeah, she's just like your children, like you'll get over it. And you're obviously meant to be in love forever. So I'll leave it at that, you guys.
1: Um, They they have to go ahead to basically call up Rachel and operationalize the plan. (laughs) At which point we get this, this line without meaning to. I'd memorize her number. (laughs) That's not against Rachel. After that, we find her. She's out busking in the city. Why is she busking?
0: charity. She's at
1: the fancy prep school. It's for charity. It's covered in spray paint.
0: Which is also I just want to point out she's busking in front of the Mary Art marquee, which um is a notoriously sorry, ugly theater and terrible and like very corporatized and basically a giant cement box and like has a cursed history for housing shows that like have not run very long. So that's just a note for Rachel. Why are you <laughs> outside the Mary Art marquee? Very strange. No,
1: that that empty history. <laughs> that just about brings us to the reading because this is we're, we're, we're going to dive into the first conversation that Rachel and Annabeth have, where they're pitching the next phase of the quest.
0: So this is page 246. We walked down to a place called the Java Moose on West 43rd. Rachel ordered an espresso extreme, the kind of stuff Grover would like. Annabeth and I got fruit smoothies, and we sat at a table right under the stuffed moose. Nobody even looked twice at Rachel in her golden outfit. She said, it's Annabelle, right? Annabeth. Annabeth corrected. Do you always dress in gold? Not usually, Rachel said. We're raising money for our group. We do volunteer art projects for elementary kids because they're cutting art from the schools, you know. We do this twice a month, take in about $500 on a good weekend, but I'm guessing you don't want to talk about that. You're a half-blood too, right? Annabeth said, looking around, just announce it to the world, how about? Okay, Rachel stood up and said really loud, hey, everybody, these two aren't human. They're half-Greek God. Nobody even looked over. Rachel shrugged and sat down. They don't seem to care. That's not funny, Annabeth said. This isn't a joke, mortal girl. Hold it, you two, I said. Just calm down. I'm calm, Rachel insisted. Every time I'm around you, some monster attacks us. What's to be nervous about? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fun.
1: <laughs> yes. They, it, it's a tense conversation, as you can tell. It gets worse because Percy quickly just decides to bring up Luke for fun or something? I don't know. I'm stressed.
0: I have to say, it's it's the Percy and Annabeth getting fruit smoothies at the coffee shop thing for me. Like, I think that's sweet and perfect. They explain the plan to Rachel and she's like, yeah, sure. My summer was going to be boring. This sounds great. Man, a pixie dream girl, but great. And then Rachel apparently just happens to know an entrance to the labyrinth and it happens to be in the basement of the Marriott Marquis, which also happens to be housing the costumes for their, like, children's theater <laughs> charity, which is just, like, again, Rick was never has never visited New York City in his life. And suddenly we, uh, we're in the labyrinth with Rachel. She sees things, it's working out as planned. It's basically like the, uh, Team Avatar getting tough and suddenly like they can see underground, which is fun for a hot sec, but then unfortunately we kind of immediately get captured yes. by the Titan army.
1: Bum bum, Luke ambush. Yeah, they get captured by the Titan army, which happens kind of a lot, but this time special torture that they have in mind for them is, is an arena in the labyrinth. It's full of monsters. There's skulls everywhere. So
0: much Thor Ragnarok energy. I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's This This scene is just screaming, Taika Waititi, <laughs> direct me, please. Direct me for Disney+. Plus. I mean, Jackson, I don't know if you want to take this over.
3: Oh, I just have a lot of, th- there's a lot of stuff going on here for me because this evil giant dude, he is a son of Poseidon. And he's also, his mom is Gaia, who is Poseidon's yep. grandmother. So, like, there's a lot going on there, first of all. Mm -hmm. Second of all, this dude, like, can't be killed because his mother is the earth. So if he's on the ground, he can heal himself, just like how in the water Percy can heal himself. So this is where I get angry and, like, what are these weird, stupid God plot holes where it's like, we'll give you unbelievable power and you can heal yourself, but if you jump in the air and someone shoots you, you're dead. But, like... To me, I think that is so weird. That's how you kill this guy. It's like Percy's weird homing device thing in the ocean. Or also like Percy can't be in the skies except for when he's on a horse. Like on a Pegasus because that's (laughs) neutral ground. And it's like, to me, that's like bullshit.
0: I'd love for you to make like a chart, Jackson, of like all of the like things that you're allowed and not allowed to do in the loopholes, which allow you to do certain (laughs) things as children of certain gods.
3: I guess there need to be these loopholes to make it more believable that like these gods aren't all powerful.
0: And also to allow Percy to like win any battle ever. Mm-hmm. It's like if we're if we're to expect that like Percy is gonna win, then we have to suspend our disbelief for this like universe where like there's all kinds of weird rules because yes. Western civilization is messed up. <laughs> we're here in the arena I say Thor Ragnarok because it's run by this weird... Eccentric. Eccentric, yes, that's the word I was looking for. Eccentric <laughs> man who is making people fight for his own entertainment. So the theory is that if the Titan army like fights a bunch, eventually the giant will like let him through the arena because they won't be able to escape and get... To their where they're going through the labyrinth because they ended up in this weird, scary underground arena. Now that Team Avatar has been captured by the
2: Titan Army, they're gonna also have to battle their way out of the situation. How did, like I just like I know we don't get to see Luke's perspective, but like kind of in a Stephanie Myers Midnight Sun thing, I would like for Rick Riordan to like write a series from Luke's perspective because he was That's doing really cool. work. Yes, he was literally doing work. Like he has half bloods. He has monsters. He has the tidings like supporting him like half titan half gods like what kind of like persuasive speech yep. is this kid giving and like where is he getting the money? He seems like the most convincing salesman yeah. and like this part kind of pissed me off the same way the Andromeda cruise ship like pissed me off like how? Yeah. I feel like we have so much useless backstory about other people. But, like, literally, can we get, like, one chapter of Luke just, like, yeah. And then I went underground in the labyrinth and became best friends with this titan god. And now I get to watch other people get the shit kicked out of them and nothing happens to me. Yeah.
0: Because it's it's almost like when we appear on, in Thor Ragnarok, when we appear on the weird uh, planet and Loki just, like, already there. It's like Loki. Yeah. How? Loki's already there, like, smoothing it up, that's sitting next to hello. the eccentric king. I will uh, forgive you for the Stephanie Myers reference because I think that's a great idea. I did just recently
2: reread all of Twilight. I'm not gonna The moral high
3: to ground me. is gone, frankly. Um. <laughs> Here's a dumb question that I just was thinking about. Who wins in a fight? A god or a demi titan? Like, let's say Kronos comes back with a body, flirts it up with a mortal, has a kid, Demi-Titans, whole new series. Rick that's my trademark. That's Ooh,
1: mine. Copyright it. Copyright it now because he's, 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 he's looking for Ooh. new ways to monetize this.
2: <laughs> he's listening. This is the only
0: episode he listens Jackson, to. Jackson, <laughs> you are going to write the fanfic about the Demi-Titans, and Ola is going to write the fanfic where it's the entire series, but it's told from Luke's It's just
1: a lot of negotiations and, like, financial dealings, probably.
2: Like,
1: was he going to school? Was he going
0: to school?
2: He was te- secretly <laughs> taking night classes
1: the Online entire time getting his business
2: degree. <laughs> he has an MBA. He was an MBA. <laughs> anyway.
1: Um, he's fighting to the death because he's being forced to in this arena, which, as it turns out, is a temple to Poseidon, because, as we've mentioned, it's run by Antaeus a giant who is a son of Poseidon and Gaia. This is a little bit freaky. Maybe why is this a temple to Poseidon? We think that Poseidon's a good guy, but people are being murdered in his name. That's kind of bad. Percy, after like yeah. an intro challenge with like a dracnet, has to face a demigod, who we learn is Ethan Nakamura, <gasps> our beloved token agent. Oh, Ethan. Um, <laughs> Hi, Ethan's Ethan. here to defend his honor and remind us of Zuko, Prince of the Fire Nation. <laughs> Um, with his with one his eye, and,
0: literally put a one-eyed Asian defending his honor <laughs> in this book, and expected that we were just going to be sure. like, "Yeah, new
1: original, we love that." <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, P- Percy's fighting Ethan. He he wins, but he refuses to kill Ethan, which is sort of a big deal. It's pissing off Antaeus, who's like, "Mercy is bad. I don't derive enjoyment from that." And Ethan like accepts the mercy, sort of like he's like mad about it, but he takes Percy's hand up. And Percy's response is basically, you know what? I'm not going to kill this guy. If I'm going to kill somebody, why don't I kill you, Antaeus? And they fight.
0: They fight. Again, Percy, being super smart here, he realizes, like Jackson, you know, uh, uh, foreshadowed for us, he can't kill him on the ground. So Percy basically thinks of this smart thing. He he hangs Antaeus from his loincloth on these skull-littered chains so that he cannot touch the ground. And there's, like, this moment where Percy is like, you know, Percy does kill him.
1: Yeah, but that, like, the book doesn't pause with that, but I think we should pause with that. Percy, like, it's weird that he kills him. The incentives are not set up for him to kill him. If he kills Antaeus, the Titan army gets to move freely through the labyrinth. This is their last obstacle. And also, it's murder. He's like, Antaeus is not fighting back anymore. He's basically, like, restricted in movement. He could have, again, showed mercy and been like, we're, you know, you're a person, we're brothers. How about you just don't try to force people to fight for the death anymore? But instead, Percy just goes ahead and, like, basically, like, makes things harder for himself in order to kill this person? Well, that could be some weird powers of
3: a child of Nemesis, who is the goddess maybe. of revenge and, or, like, balance and everything. So Percy spared a life when he wasn't supposed to and then took a life when he also wasn't supposed to, you know? I suppose that's a I mean, it's Read just it. one of those weird things of, like, whenever Percy is around Ares, that aura around mm-hmm. Ares makes him angry. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's, like, a weird aura around a child of Nemesis of you have to balance things out. Um, and I think that could be one of the reasons potentially why he did that because it does make no sense. It literally makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. I love Minor Gods.
0: I know. I, I love that you love them because it makes me hype about them as yes. well. I can't wait for you to talk about them in, in Heroes of
1: Olympus more. Oh.
0: But yeah, we also like note that Percy cited Annabeth for his like clever plan here, which is cute. He's crediting Annabeth. Say
1: your sources. At this point, once day is dead, Percy turns to Luke and he's like, so you have to let us go. Like that." that's the deal. And then Luke's like, no, I actually don't feel like that's real. His oath dies with him. Girl, I don't know about that one. But that's what we're left with. The Titan army is coming down to attack that. Remember, the stands are full of monsters. So they're just sort of descending. It doesn't look good. Luke throws out also that like as Titan army is trying to murder everyone, Luke wants them to not murder Annabeth. Spare the girl. Ha. It's weird. It is weird that Luke is putting this much emotional investment in Annabeth. Because, like, it's, okay, it's not weird for Annabeth to be into him. But it is weird for him to put all of this on her. Because she, again, is seven years younger than him. Luke, at this point, I believe, is, how old are they? Annabeth is, like, 14 going on 15. So he's, like, approximately 22. So this is, like, a post-college grad seeking help from someone who is, like, about to start high school. No. Why? No. But this is sort of going to record for us. No,
0: I think I I, like literally have never thought about it in the context of their ages before. So I'm glad that we're doing it now. You had already finished the outline and I was doing my reread and I read that line and I was like, and then I went to the outline and you had already (laughs) written it down. And I was like, this is a crazy moment because we've gotten these very rare moments of Luke and Annabeth interacting and and these rare glimpses in the past of what the foundation of their relationship was. But like Talia is not in the picture anymore. So it's really just Annabeth and Luke. And this is coming at this point when we've had all of this stuff going on with Percy and his love life. And not that I'm gonna say this is Annabeth's love life, because again, that's like, you know, that's a difficult age range, but it, it is these very weird, knotted up complex feelings that she has for him. And I can only imagine what is going on in Annabeth's mind at this point. Like if we were to read this chapter from her perspective, like Percy just disappeared for two weeks. She knows something is up. Percy's like second girlfriend is here. And then Luke is like, spare Annabeth. I need to talk to her. What is going on in her brain? on this quest that she's supposed to be in charge of and now Rachel's in charge of, like this is a tough moment There's so much going on for Annabeth. Rick is cutting her no slack here.
3: Have you talked about the cool split nature of Luke as a son of Hermes being the host of Kronos? Because Hermes is like literally the god of speed and so quick and quick-witted and shifty. And then Kronos is the titan of time and everything that he does is slow and methodical. And so it's kind of like this weird union i think that's
2: what he did instead of getting an mba like that's what it is it's not an mba it's the fact that he has the slow methodical nature of like the time titan with the quick witted nature of hermes and they came together and made a pure evil door-to-door salesman (laughs) Period.
0: i love that period and then there as the titan army is descending there's no way out percy you know doesn't trust Quintus, but decides the only thing that they can do is blow the whistle that he gave them. Boom! In comes magical Cleave. Mrs. O'Leary, rescues them, saves the day. Love Spirit her. guide, Appa energy shows up, whisks them off, including Ethan. And that's that's where we're going to stop for now. It's not our usual stopping place, but we talked, I think, plenty for tonight. <laughs> three chapters. And we're going to talk a lot more next week. My <laughs> sorry, we did three. okay. <laughs> lots of Percy Jackson podcasts do one chapter, and we love and respect them. And we're, I'm also putting off doing Heroes of Olympus because I don't like That's it gonna as going to take so much time. <laughs> this I have is okay. so many
2: Heroes of Olympus, like, opinions. Ah, I'm excited.
0: All right. Well, this brings us to our concluding questions. Persebeth update? Anyone?
2: My Persebeth update is kind of sad this week because rereading these as an adult, I forgot, like, I was definitely like, oh, like, yeah, he should go with Calypso, but like he's going back for Annabeth and I love that. But then like Rachel Elizabeth Dare made some points in this book. And I don't hate her as much as I did as a child. Like now I really like her and she's kind of a badass and really saves the day. But so I still love Percy, Beth, but like I feel like Annabeth kind of needed to cut Percy a little bit of slack like he did go into the telekines area so she could be safe and then he almost died and like yeah he was macking on like calypso for like two weeks but who wouldn't she would she would too so i feel like i get why it's really tense but like cut him some slack like he almost died i feel like everyone in like the second half of this book needs to just cut percy some slack like he really just almost died and yeah he went to ogygia and like he was healed but like he was, like, dead for two weeks. <laughs> Give him a break. He's a 14-year-old kid. Let That's, him make a few mistakes. Let him kind of simp for Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Like, everyone kind of has a thing for redheads. <laughs> like, I do. I feel like everyone else does. No. I'm projecting. I'm sorry, Ola. <laughs> I,
0: I have to stop you there because the phrase Percy simping for Rachel Elizabeth <laughs> oh Dare is emotionally too much for me to handle. I knew but this everything would be there, but I had to love make you. my case
2: because, like, I'm like kind of team no, Rachel is better. We need dissenting
1: opinions. I, I just agree with everything that was said, but I think it's very important that it was okay. Also. Not about redheads, though.
2: <laughs> not about redheads. Everyone has a little bit of a thing for redheads. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with
1: basically you everything you said. <laughs> I
2: didn't
1: know I was
0: a minority with this opinion. We all thought Ola was strong because she doesn't like Luke, but then we found out she has a thing for Jesus. <laughs> <her laughs> so I guess we're all on an even playing field
3: these days. Oh, um, Jackson. I actually, I feel a lot of the opposite way of Ola in that Rick, he cuts Percy too much slack because whenever, whenever we hear about Annabeth and Luke, it's always from Percy's perspective of jealousy. And whenever she talks about him, Percy's like, can't she just get over him? But then at the same time, like Annabeth is supposed <laughs> to just forgive Percy for spending, I don't know, God knows how long. God knows how long, whatever we are say, whatever. <laughs> Uh, with uh, Calypso on that island because like Percy's like no I left for you but Annabeth can be like bitch please like you still were with her for so long and like Percy's just allowed to get away with that but Annabeth isn't allowed to have a weird complex with Luke like a weird brother father romantic figure for her like oh no I don't even know there's like, so it's many not layers of incest it needed to, to be sad. because it's told from Percy's perspective and he's jealous of Luke Um, we as the reader are supposed to feel that jealousy, but then he gets off scot-free with, he's allowed to flirt with Rachel Elizabeth Dare. He's allowed to be with Calypso, but then also he gets Annabeth. Like he ends up with Annabeth in the end. Like I think he needs to pull his own weight a little bit and show Annabeth that he's actually committed to her because it is too much just assumed that like he's the hero and the hero ends up with the girl in this heteronormative modern day greek whatever mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. i think is not fair to annabeth mm-hmm. because she's doing a lot for him but also yes. i agree i do agree with everyone
1: has a thing for redheads
2: thank you thank you because everyone, everyone does that
1: <laughs> all right we're we're gonna we're gonna end with like an answer to the two um traditional questions that we ask every time from um a listener this one is from um Jaylen lindley i'm hope i'm saying your name correctly so they they sent us this message From my limited understanding, I think that part of the story is kind of tied to this broader goal Riordan portrays throughout P.J.O. and H.O.O. That being the topic of the gods' parenting skills, (laughs) the system is obviously flawed. No one's particularly happy, let alone content with it. But the demigods' goal in the Titan War especially is to preserve Western civilization so they can build on and improve it. When the gods offer Percy a reward for saving the system... Western civilization. Percy's idea isn't to join the flawed system, but to work together with the gods to repair the system, to repair the relationships between demigods and their immortal parents. So, again, they put their focus in taking what they have and making it work the way it ideally should. All right.
0: Thanks, Jayla. Thank you for sending that. And thank you, Ola and Jackson, for this extremely vulnerable, honest, and, and authentic evening. Of discussing the Battle of the Labyrinth. Thanks for Thanks having, for having us. us. We love coming
2: on the pod.
0: Alrighty. Join us next week. I swear to God, we'll actually finish the book. We will just keep dividing it into more and more episodes to avoid getting to the end of the series. Wrap all this stuff up. See you guys then. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.